All right, like Kiki said, no one's faulted me for a lack of energy before in my life, so we're about to get into it. It's spring forward, I could care less, all right? As Bob Goff says, I don't drink coffee in the morning, coffee drinks me in the morning, all right? And I'm nowhere near Bob Goff's level, but I'm aspiring to get there someday, so it is so good to see you. I love this church. Like I said, my, or like she said, my wife and I are from uh, Sacramento, that's where we've been the last five years, originally from Southern California, but man, when we first came here to Spring Hills yesterday, I was blown away. Can we give a round of applause for your founding senior pastor, Mr. Brett, right here in the house? No, I really just want to take a second to honor you and your wife and the legacy that you guys are creating and the impact that you're leaving here in the Sonoma County region. Brett, it's phenomenal. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. My dad and my mom, Jim and Lisa, are pastors at Sebastopol Christian Church, not too far from here. And this is an amazing, amazing place. So thanks for having us, letting us kick it with you for a little bit. We're so honored to be here, and I'm fired up. Would you guys like to see a photo of my family? Is that okay? Cool. Well, here's a throwback photo. Because I like to have some laughs in life. I, I, I see this beautiful girl, and I have no idea why she said yes to go to homecoming in freshman year of high school with this vampire fang, brace face, sheepdog haircut, 15-year-old kid. But somehow she did, and then here we are today, years later, with uh, the newest addition to our family. This is Lucy, everybody. And Lucy is almost a year old, right? It's too easy. You throw this photo up here, and everybody oohs and ahs, and life is good. God is good all the time, amen? Amen, it's such a fun season. We're learning a lot, mostly from my mistakes, but it is a good, good season. So I just wanna say thank you for having us. It has nothing to do with me being up here today. This is an honor, a privilege, it's not a right. It has everything to do with what God wants to do in this place and what he wants to say through his word. I'm about to hop into the Bible, I promise. So without further ado, would you go ahead and bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for bringing us here together this morning. Thank you for Spring Hills Church, a church that's been here for 28 years strong now and counting. And Father, I just pray that as good as the days have been, I pray that the best days are yet to come. And that's only by the power of your spirit. So Father God, have your way in this area, in this region, in our state, country, and world. And Father, I pray that your words today, your words today, would not fall on deaf ears and closed hearts but we would be open and receptive as one body to receive whatever it is that you have for us. May we be different when we leave these doors today than when we first walked in. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I have mine right here in front of me. And this is what's called the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. And I got to tell you, a lot of people look at this book and it's amazing, it's the best book in the world, but they view it as old, outdated, archaic, irrelevant for everyday life, and I could not disagree with that more. This is the living, breathing, active, inspired word of God, and if you would dare to have the audacity to open its pages, it just might change and transform your life if you let it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is God's love letter to every single one of us. And some of you are sitting here today and you're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this book's for me. God wrote this letter to you. And he wrote this letter to me. And he wrote this letter to all of us. And in the second book of the New Testament, Mark chapter 10, love this book so much, we see a story about Jesus. Now the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, are the life and teachings of this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, who we don't uh, believe that was just a man, right? We don't herald him as just a prophet. He was those things. He walked this earth. Almost everyone unanimously agrees with that. You'd be foolish not to, but we believe that he is divine, the son of God. 
And Jesus was the greatest storyteller ever. I mean, the dude was just brilliant, but there were so many stories told about him. And one of my particular favorites comes in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It's going to be on the screen right here beside me, and I'll read it from the Word. This is the NIV version. It says in verse 46, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. There's so many wonderful features of this story, but one striking feature I want to highlight for our time today is the physical blindness of this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, compared to the spiritual blindness of Jesus' 12 disciples. While blind Bart, as we're going to call him here today, can't see an actual thing. Now, we don't know if he's been blind his entire life or if he had a tragic accident somewhere later, but he can't see a thing in front of him. And yet he sees Jesus for who he truly is. Compared to the 12 disciples, Jesus' boys, who he's been doing life with for three plus years, because right now in this story, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem where he's going to be hung on a cross for the sins and the life of you and me, the life of this world. He's been doing life with 12 dudes, plus it says a large crowd is around him. The same people that have seen him turn water into wine, cast demons out of people, cure the sick, raise people from the dead, tell a raging storm to shut up, and it actually listened. Think about that. When's the last time you were in a boat and the waves were a rocking and a rolling and someone stood up and said, hey, peace be still, and it was laid flat? That's who Jesus was. He's a beast. No one can touch him. These guys should know that. They're looking at him going, Rabbi, you're our teacher. We left everything. We dropped our nets. We left our tax booth. We left everything to follow you. They've said that before. But here in our story, they're missing him in this moment. Perhaps, perhaps it's possible to have clear vision, 20-20 sight, and yet in seasons and times in our lives to still not see Jesus for who he actually is. There's another picture I want to show you guys here today. This comes from when my wife and I were in the hospital room the day that our daughter was born. Now, you might be looking at this and you're going, oh, wow, what a pretty photo. Must have just been a perfect, picturesque day with no hiccups along the way. No! That's not how it went. It's not how it went. My wife was in over 30 hours of labor. Ladies and women in the room, I had appreciation and respect for you before, but nothing compared to the admiration that I have for you now. 
because watching my wife go through what she went through just took it to a whole nother level. You guys are my heroes. But here we are, 12 hours of labor. We check into the hospital, 1.30 in the morning. We get her checked in. She's three centimeters dilated. You got to get to 10. Most of you guys know that. Children in the house, you got to get to 10. So here we are. She gets an epidural about three or four in the morning. We take about an hour, hour and a half power nap, maybe, no food, very little water, no sleep, completely groggy, almost delirious, wake up at 6 a.m., splash some water on my face. The nurse comes in and she goes, hey, Allie, that's my wife's name. She goes, hey, sweetie, you're doing great, but we want to help progress you a little bit further. And we say, awesome, what does that look like? What can you do? And they say, cool, well, we can break your waters. That should help speed things along. And we say, perfect, let's do it. They leave the room. They come back 10 minutes later. They break her waters. And just like that, our daughter's heart rate drops. And it went from a steady 150 beats per minute, 145 beats per minute, to 93 beats per minute. And I see the flushed look on our doctor's face as she's trying to figure out what to do. And I see the look of concern and panic on my wife's face. I see the red flashing light on the monitor. I hear the beep, 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 beep on the monitor screen. I see the flood of doctors and physicians as they wave themselves into this room frantically trying to reposition my wife and figure out how are we going to stabilize this little girl's heartbeat. And all of a sudden I'm looking left and I'm looking right and I'm looking left and I'm looking right and I got to puke like I've never had to vomit in my life. It hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'm looking at my wife going, this is about her. It's not about me. My role in this day is to be the most supportive husband I can be. Why do you got to puke now? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dip into the bathroom, do my business, comes right back. No one's the wiser. It's going to be a perfect day. That's me, overly optimistic and naive to a fault. So what do I do? Well, I slip into the bathroom about 10 feet back. I shut the door. Thank the Lord I don't lock it. I lean over the toilet saying, I'm about to empty all the contents inside of me into this bin. And what they estimate was about 45 to 60 seconds later, I find myself on the bathroom floor with a nurse behind me holding my head up screaming, Daddy's down! Daddy's down! I need everybody in the bathroom! Oh my gosh, he's got blood on the back of his head. We got to take him to the ER. I've never passed out in my life. (laughs) They said I looked white as a ghost. I have sweat profusely pouring out of my head. I barely know what day it is. They bring this gurney in here, the most pathetic situation you could ever imagine. And as they slowly load me on this gurney, I still have enough wherewithal to think of the one person, thank God, I should still be concerned about. It's my wife! Because she's been holding this baby for nine plus months, not me. This day's about her, not me. And all I can think about is her and have they stabilized Lucy's heart rate and is she doing okay? Is she going to be okay? Don't take me out of this room. And as they tortuously push me out, I'll just scream with my arm out, no, don't let me leave. <laughs> Why do I tell you this story? Because one, it's kind of funny. Two, because my therapist said, this is part of the healing process. I just have to get it out. (laughs) But really, I tell you this story. Because in all of our lives, in all of our lives, there's moments where we struggle to see things clearly. Despite our best intentions, sometimes they're just not quite good enough. What is it for you? Hopefully, it's not passing out on a bathroom floor in the hospital room. But it's something for all of us. 
Maybe you struggle to see things clearly when you're frantically looking for your keys when you're trying to get out of the house. You know it's always when you need to get somewhere quick that you can never find your keys until your wife or husband finally goes, dummy, they're sitting right in front of you. This is my life story every single day. And you go, gosh, they're right there. I just didn't see them. Maybe you struggle to see things clearly a bit more serious when you're praying for your spouse, you're praying for your son and daughter, you're praying for your best friend across the street or your mom and dad, kid in your classroom, and you're just going, God, are you ever going to get a hold of their life? Maybe you struggle to see things clearly because you're walking through a hard season right now. My wife and I just came out of one. And you're going, Lord, I don't know what you're trying to do here, but it just seems confusing. It just seems so foggy. I can't see through the haze. God, are you actually there? And if you are, what are you doing? Anybody been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? We all struggle to see things clearly. Why do I think this message matters today? Again, it has nothing to do with what I'm saying, everything to do with what God wants to do in this place. There's really three things that come to mind. One, this message matters because we all have things that blind us in life, and recognizing this is the first step towards seeing clearly. We all have blinders on. I'm the chief of them. There's things that prohibit us from seeing things clearly. But if we never admit it, if we don't recognize it, we'll never be able to take steps forward. Number two, because partial blindness is still blindness. I love this. Pastor Levi Lesko up in Montana says, it's possible to be in a position in life as a Jesus follower where you're not quite blind, but you can't quite see. And that's not God's will for our lives. We're all laughing because we've been there. Maybe we're there in a season right now. We're kind of in this middle ground, this lukewarm area. That's not what God wants for our lives. Why? Because number three, Jesus actually wants you to see clearly. I don't know what kind of God you're professing here today. Some of us believe that there's a God who maybe created the world, set things in motion, spun it into existence, stepped out and said, peace, I'm out of here, good luck. That's, what's, that's the God that a lot of people believe in. But that's not the God that we get in this text. Not in his holy word, not in the Bible. We serve a God who's completely transcendent, holy other, the alpha and the omega, and yet he's completely imminent and in relationship with us. We serve the God who came down. That's Christmas. We just celebrated a couple of months ago. The God who looked upon us and said, I want relationship with them once again. It started in the garden, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everything hit the fan in chapter 3. And when sin came into this world, it caused separation between us and him. We're going back to the garden. Read the last two chapters of the Bible. The Bible, in essence, is the story of God bringing humanity back into a right relationship with himself. But because he's a loving God and love beckons a choice, never forces itself upon us, Jesus asks us to say yes to him. He offered it all to us freely. That's grace. Grace is a free gift we don't deserve. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I could care less. Because this is the greatest story ever told. It's the gospel. It's the euangelion in the Greek. It's the good news, the best news you could ever receive, ever share, ever imagine that God came down. He wants a relationship with us. But there's things that get in the way. There's things that distract us. There's things that prohibit us from seeing him clearly. So how? How do we begin to see clearly in this season of life? Well, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of answers, but there's four primarily that I want to hit on today. And the first one is this. It's coming straight from our text. You can write this down in your notes or story right here in this memory bank. Number one, recognize God's presence. We have to recognize God's presence. 
right at the start of our story, in verse 46, again, it says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging, just like he'd been doing for a long time. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, the word of God says that faith comes by hearing. He can't see a single thing. And yet he has more faith in God than any of Jesus' disciples. Why? Because he's heard the stories. Word has gotten out. Stories have begun to trickle down to Jericho. They've circulated throughout the Mediterranean region, throughout the nation of Israel and beyond, of not just Jesus of Nazareth from the podunk, nothing town of Nazareth, John chapter 1. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's like being from Barstow, California. Who comes from Barstow, California? And if you know anyone from Barstow, if you're from Barstow, right after this service, we got a prayer team. We'd love to pray for you, lay hands on you. You need some healing in your life. And that's what Jesus was like. Jesus of Nazareth? What is this? I'm just kidding. You guys are all wonderful. Nazareth. And is it? You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm saying it for you so you don't have to do it. Verse 47 says, when he heard, Bartimaeus, blind Bart, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everyone tells him to shut up and be quiet, and he doesn't care. It's actually just fuel for the fire. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why does Bartimaeus call Jesus son of David when everyone else calls him Jesus of Nazareth? Because Bartimaeus knows who Jesus really is. Few others do. His disciples have professed faith in Jesus before, but they're still struggling just like you and I struggle today. And don't paint this picture wrongly. Bartimaeus isn't a perfect dude, but he's in a position in life where he has nothing else, no other decision than to completely throw himself in full abandonment before Jesus. And God has graced him with the ability to see Christ for who he is, even if he can't actually see him yet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, that's a messianic prophecy. That's a messianic title. What do I mean by that? Prophecy, a message given from God to his people. Messianic, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior that was deeply entrenched in years and years and years, embedded within Jewish history and culture. For hundreds of years, for over a thousand years, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people have been hoping, waiting, praying for the coming Savior to rescue them from their current predicament and save them from their sins. They just didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know who it was going to be. And when Jesus hit the scene, they sure as heck weren't expecting a carpenter from the no-name town of Nazareth. And here's blind Bart. He's not content calling him Jesus of Nazareth. He knows who he is. He says, son of David, because the Messiah was foretold to be from the line of King David. Yes, David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, same guy, thousand years earlier. Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus recognizes whose presence he finds himself in. And he cannot control himself enough to keep it inside any longer. He has this ecstatic energy that is just pouring out of every part of his being. And so he begins to shout God down. Do we have the same excitement? 
do we have the same awareness to recognize that God's presence, his, his, his Holy Spirit is in our midst at every waking moment, not just here when you come to church. This is an amazing church. I pray that you not just come to this church, but you invest in the Spring Hills community, that you become a part of the greeting team, the security team, the children's team. My wife and I just walked the children's building before this service. Some of the most amazing people, humble servants. Maybe it's time for you to step up and be a part of that. Maybe it's start, time for you to start tithing, to say, yes, I'm going to fully invest. I'm going to give back to God what is already his, because that's part of what it means to be in the church. Bartimaeus gets that. He understood whose presence he found himself in. Do we today, or have we slowly begun to become comfortable in our own Christian walk? I remember the first time I went to a movie theater with reclinable chairs. Anybody know the luxury that I'm talking about? My wife took me there probably for the first time eh, four or five years ago. And I remember, yeah, yeah, you guys know this photo, right? You guys understand how this will change your cinematic going adventures for the rest of your life. It revolutionized the whole movie experience for me. So I walk in, I'm a little curious. I look at this chair and I'm like, this doesn't look like a normal fold-up, fold-down chair. And she goes, no, Ty, this isn't normal, normal at all. Why don't you just take a seat? So I take a seat and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is nice. And she goes, yeah, it is nice. You know, you can put your feet up too. Whoa, this is amazing. This is just nice. This is incredible. And she goes, Ty, there's a button next to you. Anybody know the magic button that I'm talking about? You press that magic button and you are done. Let me just tell you that as you spread fully out on your back. I literally look over at her and I'm going, I don't know about you. I'm not watching any movie. I'm taking a two-hour nap. This is incredible. <laughs> and as I began to think about it, I just started to wonder, is this what our Christian life looks like sometimes? Where we're just comfortable, cool, calm, and content, just sitting, lounging around? Is this the faith that Jesus called us to, or did he call us to something more engaging, something deeper, something that requires us to get outside of our comfort zone, take proactive steps forward to people that we don't know, but say, hey, I'm Tyler, can we have a relationship with each other? Jesus loves you. Do you know that, that Jesus actually loves you? Can you tell me about your life? Tell me your story. Tell me your kids. Do you understand that this is the life that Jesus has called us to? To the unfamiliar, the uncommon, the unknown. That's the Christianity that Jesus called us to. Heck, he said, if you want to be one of my followers, you better be ready to pick up your cross every single day and follow me. Spring Hills Church, when Jesus picked up his cross, where was he headed? To Golgotha. To his death. It was a death march. And it's the same journey that he calls us to today. But the word of God says that if you lose your life for me, you will actually find it. This is the life that God has called us to. So I encourage you, whatever that means for you, however you need to recognize God's presence in your own life, not just here on a happy church Sunday morning, but on a Monday afternoon. <gasps> Heaven forbid. On a Monday afternoon, I can encounter God's presence? Yeah. When's the last time you cracked open your own word in the quietness of your bedroom with no one looking around and we're just wrecked by the presence of God? He wants to meet you there. That's the God that he is. Altogether transcendent, holy other, and completely imminent. He wants relationship with you. We have to recognize his presence. Number two, how are we going to see clearly this year? We have to remove unnecessary distractions. Remove unnecessary distractions, just like Bart does in this story. What do I mean? Verse 49, check this out. It says here that Jesus stopped and said, 
call him. I stop here to say this. There's some people in this room right now that need to hear this word. You don't think that Jesus will actually ever truly stop for you. Could not be more wrong. Jesus will always stop for you. You serve a God who is for you, not against you. He doesn't judge you. He loves you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, or what you've done in your life. God will always stop for you, just like he did for Bart. It says, so they called the blind man, right? They don't even call him Bartimaeus, the blind man. Hey, cheer up, blind man on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Why is this significant? Because blind Bartimaeus, as we've already said a thousand times, is blind. He's a poor beggar that lived actually below the poverty line. It says in this text that his only possession, maybe one of two or three at most, material possessions in life is this cloak. Now, I feel like I'm about to pull a rabbit out of a hat wearing this thing this morning, but it should serve our purposes for this illustration. Because as Bartimaeus is sitting there by the roadside begging, perhaps wearing the cloak or using it to collect money, as he's done for a long, long time, he hears that Jesus is passing by. He shouts Jesus down. Jesus actually stops and calls him. People say, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And before he pops up, the text says that he throws his cloak aside. Why is this significant? Because Bartimaeus understands one thing in life. That if he's going to go all in for Jesus, he's got to be willing to let go of anything and everything that might impede his way of getting there. Church, what is it in your life that you need to let go of? It may not even be a bad thing. Do you know that's actually, that requires a little more wisdom, discernment, talking with God about Jesus. What are some layers that I need to shed in my life that aren't necessarily sinful, but I need to let go of? Because as I stack one on top of the other, Jesus, I have a hard time seeing you through the fray. What do I need to let go of? If there's a sin in your life that you need to let go of, oh, Holy Spirit, I just pray that he would convict you right now in this moment in the most loving way and just say, yep, you need to let go of that porn addiction. You need to let go of your anger. You need to let go of your jealousy, the gossip. You need to let go of that embezzlement. You need to let go of trying to skirt around and cheat your taxes this year. I know, it's like the worst season ever, tax season. You need to let go of that. And if that's you, that's between you and the Lord but there's probably some good things that you're trying to hang on to. You're trying to white knuckle and say, no, I've had this for so long, I can't let go of this. And God's saying, hey, that was actually a great thing that I gave you 10 years ago. I gave you when you were a kid. I gave you last month, but you know what? It's time to release that. And trust me that I am a good, good father, and I have better days ahead for you. Will we be willing to let go of any unnecessary distraction to run full speed and make a beeline towards Jesus, the Son of God. Because he wants to blow your mind this year. But you got to be willing not to go 75% of the way in, not 90% of the way in, not 99% of the way in, but to go 100% in, in your relationship with God. You can't do it alone. Is your private time with God, your quiet time in the morning, during the afternoon, and nighttime important? Absolutely, it's essential. You have to practice silence and solitude. Spend one-on-one time with Jesus, but you need the church. Do you need to plug into a small group? Do you need community? Absolutely. Students ask me all the time. I work with high school students almost every day of the week. They say, why do we have to keep coming to church? I'm like, first of all, rude. I think this is pretty fun, the way we've set it up. But second of all, if you really want to have the conversation, because we're human. Because we need the encouragement. I don't know about you, but most days, shocking, I don't wake up singing 
about the sunshine and rainbows outside. Sometimes I'm down, I'm a little tired, I'm thinking about the concerns that I had the day before, the bills that we have to pay, the relationship, the conversation with that friend that didn't go so well. We think about those things. We need each other. That's why Jesus made, created the body of Christ. He's the head of the church, and he says, I want you to go all in. Go all in in your relationship with me and watch what I do in your life. Number three, for the sake of time, here we go. What do we need to do to see clearly this year? We need to respond in bold faith, just like Bartimaeus. Respond in bold faith. What do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus calls him and says, come here, he actually asks him this question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, surely you know. I want to see. Why does Jesus ask him this question? What do you want me to do for you? Surely the miracle worker, the son of God, knows the one thing this blind man wants Jesus to do for him. Jesus, are you just picking on the dude? Are you making fun of him? Are you trying to make him embarrass him in front of his friends? Like, Jesus, what's going on right now? No, Jesus doesn't do that. That's not how he operates. The question isn't for Jesus' sake, it's for Bartimaeus. Because Jesus knows the value in vocalizing bold faith before God. He could have healed this guy just by simply walking next to him, just by thinking about him. Jesus created him. He knitted him in his mother's womb. He knows everything about Bartimaeus. He knows how he got blind. He knows the struggle that he's had since then. He knows everything. Why ask him this question? Because there's something that happens inside of us when we become bold enough to express our own faith before Father God. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Why do we pray? It's not to tell God something he doesn't already know. It's to engage in relationship with him. And as we begin to express the desires of our heart, church, watch, there's something that rises inside of us. There's something that comes. There's something that happens. Courage is given where there was despair and discouragement. Hope begins to rise and emerge in dark places. There's something that happens when we begin to express bold faith before Father God, and Jesus knows that. So he gifts Bartimaeus with this opportunity to express what he really, really wants so that when he is healed, he'll know how it came, who it came from, and his life will be transformed forever. Respond in bold faith. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know if there's a dream that's been buried now for years and years and years that needs to rise to the surface. But whatever it is, speak out before your father. He knows you. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. Number four, what's the last thing we need to do to see clearly this year? We need to resolve to surrender, just like Bart. Some of you are looking at this and you're going, I've already surrendered my life to Christ. I've already asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior in my heart. That's awesome. Praise God. I'm so glad to hear that. But have you surrendered daily to him? Did you wake up this morning? There's no guilt trip. This is just an encouragement for all of us. Did we wake up this morning? Did I wake up this morning, get on my knees and say, God, I surrender to you. You are my first allegiance. Above all else, sit on the throne of my heart. There are some other amazing things going on in my life. My marriage right after you. My, my child right after that. But Jesus, you come first. Is that our daily prayer before God? Daily surrender? Or do we just kind of get caught going through the motions? And slowly but surely, this is just what happens. It's inevitable in life. Jesus begins to take a back seat. That's what happens for a lot of us. But will we today resolve to surrender? Just like Bartimaeus did. What do I mean by that? Well, it actually says the last verse here. It says that Jesus looks at his son, who can't yet look back at him in his own eyes. says, go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Your faith that you just expressed to me has healed you. 
immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Do you know the word disciple can be translated as follower? Bartimaeus, that moment, in that instantaneous second, becomes a devoted follower of Jesus and follows him. Follows him. Follows him where? Follows him to Jerusalem. Where's that? Follows him to the city where he's about to be unjustly, unfairied, unfairly tried, arrested, tortured, brutally murdered on a cross for the sins of the world. Buried for three days, but come on somebody, this is the joy of Easter Sunday, raised to never die again. Bartimaeus follows Jesus to the very end. Will you and I do the same today? You have to resolve to surrender. That morning in the hospital, you know, when I was pathetically laying there in the ER and they put an IV in my system to give me some fluids, I had a couple of juice boxes and graham crackers. I felt great after that. Got my blood sugar levels right up. My father-in-law walks in about 10 minutes later and he goes, Ty, everything's great. They stabilized Lucy's heart rate. Allie's doing fine. They haven't had the baby. She hasn't had the baby. You're not missing a thing and they're totally healthy. It was the best news I ever could have heard. And I'm sitting there just again realizing, man, as strong as I wanted to be, I just wasn't quite strong enough. That moment I had to resolve to surrender and say, God, this is yours. It always has been, always will be. And we have to do the same in our lives today. Maybe some of you are feeling like blind Bartimaeus, and you're sitting there, and you've been calling out to God for quite some time, but you actually feel like you haven't heard the words yet of Jesus calling you. You feel like Jesus hasn't stopped for you. He has. He loves you. Will you see him? Will you cry out for him? Story of scripture, especially in the four gospels, the disciples are us. We are the disciples. Maybe we're in a season of life. You're in a season of life right now where you're just not seeing Jesus for who he truly is. Maybe you've expressed it before. You've expressed it a lot of times before. But now is the time when you need to come back in full surrender to Father God. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, I've actually never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. I've never asked him to come into my life. I want to give you that opportunity right now. This book right here, this word, God's love letter to us, says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise. You can take it to the bank. That is God's commitment to you. Will you confess that Jesus is Lord? Respond in bold faith and resolve to surrender right here, right now in this moment. I want to give each and every one of you that opportunity. So just out of a sign of respect for each other, would you guys mind to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're sitting here this morning, you're going, yeah, I've actually never asked Jesus to come into my life. I just want to give you that chance. You can just repeat these words quietly with me in your own heart. Just say, dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for taking my punishment upon your shoulders and forgiving me forever, making me clean in your sight. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I receive your love for me today. And I commit to following you for the rest of my days. Jesus, help me. I cannot do it alone. And Father God, I just want to say thank you so much for every single man and woman who just prayed that prayer. May you walk with them. May you talk with them. May you be with them, God. Through thick and thin. May they continue to grow every single day. And may we as the church know how to surround them in love and wisdom to champion them in this new journey with you. We love you forever, and it's in your name. We all said together, amen. Thank you guys so much.